Good morning. morning. Greet each one in Christ's name this morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning, and it was uh, some good singing. I enjoyed, um, it seemed like maybe it was a little bit more uh, lively because it was songs that we enjoy singing, and uh, I enjoyed that very much. Welcome to uh, the worship service this morning. If you're visiting us here at Sandy Ridge, why we're welcome. We're grateful that you're here. We uh, especially think this morning of the Martin Raymer families as they grieve this morning. And uh, as we were singing, there were several songs that reminded me of their of their lot. And uh, one in particular, as we were singing 461, where it says. Uh, Just read a portion there. Be still, my soul. Be still, my soul. Thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. Be still, my soul. Thy God doth undertake. And sometimes life is thorny, and uh, they are experiencing that at this time, and we're... Our hearts go out to them, and and, uh, we sorrow with them. This morning I have um, a message that I'd like to, I'm preaching it to myself, first of all, and uh, let's pray. Lord, we, um, we come before you this morning, Lord, we're grateful that you are a God that cares about our deepest needs. You care about our pain, and you care about where our souls are, it troubles you when we stray away. And you have joy when we follow after you. And you speak to us when we cry out to you. So Lord, this morning, help us, Lord, to, um, if we are in desert places, help us to come back to the water. And if we're at a good place, Lord, help us to be grateful and help those that are that, are, that we're beside. We ask, Lord, that you would use your word this morning through my lips to encourage our hearts. It's for your glory and for your honor this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to address a topic or a concern that I have that I, that I see in me uh, and have had different conversations over the last months and years even with others that have sensed some of the same things going on in themselves. Uh, it doesn't mean that everyone here is going to be affected by, by what I'm going to preach about this morning, but the message, message is still for all of us because we are, we are brothers and sisters together, and uh, when one is affected, uh, it affects us all. This is something I've noticed in myself and maybe in the church in general, uh, and that is that there is a spiritual lethargy that is happening. Uh, My title this morning is The Battle Against Stagnant Christian Living. How do we battle against stagnant Christian living when Christianity just doesn't have any zap to it and we're we become lethargic in our Christian walk. Maybe that doesn't ring with you, 
but it does with me. It demonstrates itself in, in many ways. And uh, sometimes we, we blame, we've blamed the pandemic. Uh, just COVID just really threw us in for a loop. Well, it did. It did. But most likely that stagnation was already in process before the pandemic ever was, before there ever was a pandemic. And so um, I recognize that some of you find yourself in a good place with the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. And, and maybe you're more in tune now than you were five years ago. And that's great. And you're more passionate about the things of God today than you were five years ago. But some of us, maybe we struggle. We would say, I, I love the Lord, but somehow I find it difficult to be excited about the kingdom work. More so now than it was five years ago. And I don't know, I hesitate to ask for a raise of hands, but have any of you experienced that, you know, it's tougher now than it was a couple years ago. Like I feel a stagnation in my own soul. I, I have felt it in myself. I don't know if you have felt it in yourself. So fighting against the lethargy that I sense in me, and if you sense that same thing, that this message is for us. What is that? What is lethargy? It's the lack of energy and enthusiasm. We lack the, the, the energy and enthusiasm. And if we become lethargic, it, it's an attitude of my heart. All of a sudden, I'm not excited about things of the Lord or things of the church or, or scripture reading. And the message today is how do we fight against the stagnation, the stagnant Christian life? When, that, when we have that in us, with that, that lack of energy, that lack of spiritual energy, we, we approach everything differently. If we're enthused and energized about something, we can sense it. It's, it's, we're excited about it, but when we're not, then it's, we're not excited about it. And, and, and as a, the, the, if you look in, in, the, in the dictionary, lethargy is, an, is characterized by laziness and a lack of energy. Indifferent, apathetic, no feeling or interest. And sometimes I wonder if the church suffers more from that than we realize. We've become lazy in our pursuit of God. And when our lives become overshadowed by this, then it affects every area of our life. We suffer as individuals. And where we have influence, it affects others as well. Ministries are affected. Work on down the line. Wherever we are, if we're not excited about life and we're not excited, excited about serving the Lord, we end up not showing up even though we're there. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. Do the scriptures refer to this in any way? Is it even, even in the scripture? I'd like to read in Revelations chapter 3 a couple of scriptures just to, to get our minds thinking about what, what, does, what does God think about this kind of attitude, this kind of dilemma that we have in ourselves. He wrote through John, the revelator, in, in chapter 3 of Revelations to the churches. 
And uh, I'm going to read verses 14 through 17. And this is to the church of Laodicea. Familiar scripture. We we understand, we we could probably almost quote it. Uh, The message to Laodicea. And unto the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Here the Lord is saying, You guys think you're hot to this church, but you're cold. Well, you're not, you're lukewarm. You have something going on, but you're lukewarm. You're not, he would rather they be hot, of course, or if they would at least be cold, he could, they could call them to repentance, but they're so satisfied where they're at, they're lukewarm, and he's going to spew them out of his mouth. That's lethargy. That's lethargy at its climax. At the worst, different places in the gospel we read that we should deny ourselves and follow, take up our cross and follow after Christ. That denying of self takes action. It takes something from me. And when, I, when I'm in a lethargic, stagnant, then I become selfish. And when I'm in a place like that, I become selfish and I don't want to give up myself. I don't want to... Lay down my will for Christ's. Doing that is difficult. Myself wants to do exactly the opposite. We want easy. We want, we want to kick back, relax, and enjoy the ride. That's what our self wants. But he's saying deny yourself and take up the cross. Luke Chapter 21, verse 34. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life, so that the day come upon you unawares. The Amplified says it this way. Be on guard. Be on guard. Take heed to yourself. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down and depressed with the giddiness of debauchery. depressed by the giddiness of debauchery. There's a, there's a sense that the debauchery of the world, the, the lights and the glamour and the, and the music and the, the fun, that debauchery that the world has to offer gives us a giddy feeling like that might be kind of fun. But in the end, it brings depression to our souls and we become stagnant in our Christian walk. There's something about floating down the river of life, going with the flow, considering the things that the world has to offer, that dulls our, sense, dulls our senses, spiritual senses, and that giddiness of their debauchery can bring a depression to our soul. Hebrews, therefore, Hebrews 2.1, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest... At any time, we should let them slip. We need to pay attention because 
What we could have known, had we been paying attention, will let it slip away because we weren't paying attention in our apathy. If you feel this apathy, this stagnation in yourself, and your heart is towards God, you're leaning towards God, but you feel that in yourself. I feel that in myself sometimes, and I hate it. I despise it. I want to get out of the rut. And God wants us out of the rut even more than we do ourselves. So are there things, are there steps that help breaking free from this? Are there disciplines that I need to consider to pursue in order to to turn this around, to get myself back in a good place? And if you're not feeling this, then you have an opportunity to minister to those that are. To someone that's feeling that burnout. I'd like to, my text this morning is going to be from Jeremiah chapter 29. We're going to read that this morning and then towards the end of the message I'm going to, we're going to refer back to it. Jeremiah chapter 29. It's a fami- it has a familiar verse in it actually. Um, you'll recognize it when we get there. Jeremiah 29. I'm going to read the first 14 verses, and uh, just for context, it's not necessarily all part of the message this morning. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent in Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders which were carried away captive to the and to the priests, and to the prophets, and to, the, to all the people which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. After that, Jeconiah, the king, and the queen, and the eunuchs, and the princes of Judah, and Jerusalem, and the carpenters, and the smiths were departed from Jerusalem by, by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shephan, and Gemerai, and the son of Hilkiah. When Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent unto Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, saying, Thus say the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon, build ye houses and dwell in them, and plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives and beget sons and daughters, and take, take wives for your sons and give your daughters to your husbands and that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may increase there and, and not diminish. As I was reading that, I was thinking, these people were in a bad place. They were, in, they were in captivity, and God is telling them, don't just sit on your hands. Don't be discouraged and, and depressed and stagnant, but get to work and live. And then verse 7, he says, And seek peace of the city, whether, whether I have caused you to be carried away captives. And pray. Don't just, don't just sit there and pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. There's things to do even in the bad times. There's, there's times when things are rough. And we can't just stop and float. We need, to, we need to live and we need to pray. 
For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Let not your prophets and your diviners that be in your midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which ye cause to be dreamed. For, the prophecy, for they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord that after 70 years be accomplished, for thus saith the Lord that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. And here's a familiar verse that we hear often. For I know the thoughts that I have toward you, that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me and find me when ye, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity. I'm going to end the reading there. Are there things that can bring us to a better place than where we are today if we're feeling that in ourselves? I believe there are. We can break free from that lethargy. Now, I realize there, this is not a magic pill. It's not like take these three steps and you're good. Um, it's a work of the Holy Spirit working in me, changing me by God's grace and by his mercy. It's not by my own strength. It's not by my own willpower, but God working in me and changing in me. But there are still things that I can do along the way that, that God wants me to do. I have four things listed this morning that I'd like to, to bring to us to consider. They're not new. They're not new at all. We're, we're familiar with all of them. And the first point is we need to hunger and thirst. We need to hunger and thirst. Do I, do I hunger after God? If I'm in a lethargic, stagnant state, I probably am not hungering after God. Psalm 42 one and two, it says, as the heart panteth, as, as the deer, that kind of heart, as the deer panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And the question this morning is, do I pant after God like the deer does after the water? Am I so longing in my thirst for God that I just want to drink of that water? Do I long like a parched man in a desert for a drink? There's a desperation there that I need to get with God. Panting after the Word of God, the things of God, the ministries of God. Where's God at work around me? What can I do to, to assist? What does that look like in my life? What, what am I longing for. If I recognize the weariness in my soul, the lack of energy in my soul, the lethargy that's there, then it's time that I analyze what am I passionate about. And if you're like me, I, if you would ask me that question, I would say, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really passionate about anything. I, but when we're honest with ourselves, and we consider, and we look at the pattern of our lives, our daily lives, and we see what is consuming the bulk of my free time. And all of a sudden, we see a pattern here. We see what's, what really needs to maybe meaningfully change. What's consuming that energy that should be going towards the Lord. We're in dry places for a reason. 
It's not by accident that we end up in those, in those desert places, in the wilderness. It may be over a period of time, it may be over a long period of time, but we find ourselves in a bad place, in a, in a place uh, where it's dry and desert and wilderness, like the children of Israel. But it was the attitudes of their hearts, it was the attitudes of our hearts, the choices that we've made, the complaining, the murmuring, and eventually we find ourselves in a desert place, in the wilderness. And that's why we're there, because of choices that we've made or didn't make. Matthew 5, familiar verse. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. There is such a thing as not hungering after righteousness anymore. It's blessed are they which do, and we should be, but I believe there is a time when, when that goes away because we've, we've pushed it down so long. and We've been so enthralled with other things that we no longer hunger and thirst after righteousness, after God, after God's Word. What a dangerous place to be spiritually. To, alas- to have lost that hunger for God and His Word and His kingdom work. We're not hungry for it anymore. The enemy would have us cast. When we come to a place like that, we're discouraged and we're stagnant. The enemy would have us cast ourselves down and just die. Just spiritually give up. Like like Hagar did in our Sunday school lesson last week. As I was studying, I thought of her. She, She ran out of water. She was thirsty. She was dry. And she said, you know what? Forget it. And she sat underneath the shade bush and was going to give up. But God doesn't want us there. He has a well of water that he wants us to drink from. A spiritual well that he wants us to come to. As a songwriter wrote, come to the water. There is a vast supply. There is a river that never shall run dry. John, who wrote Revelations in the the book of John, the Apostle John knew it well. In John 4, he talks about the woman at the well. And if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again is what Jesus said there. John 6. Let's Actually, let's turn to John 6, if you would with me. John 6. Verse 28. John 6, 28. Jesus is talking to the the people about being the bread of life. And then in, in verse 28, he says, And they said unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him which he hath sent. And they said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then, that that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And they were just saying, That was a demonstration of God there. What's your demonstration? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not the bread from heaven, but my Father giveth it to you. But my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is to come, is, it, the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life to the world. 
And they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Do I hunger after God? He is supplying every need. And then the next verse, Then Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life, and he that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. When we hunger and thirst, he satisfies that. If we lose our hunger and thirst, we'll never find it because we're not seeking it. Revelations, John the Revelator again, in verse in chapter 22, he said, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And later in, 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 in verse 17, he said, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. Let him that athirsts, Come. And whosoever will, let him take a drink. Let him take of the water of life freely. Am I thirsting? Am I hungering after God? I believe that in order to break the lethargy that we sense around us or in us, that spiritual stagnation, we must become hungry for God's word and God's work. We must thirst after righteousness. It's our life. It's our life depends on it. It's a true statement. I remember David Jr. used to say, what you feed grows. And it's true. If my appetite is for God's word, if my thirst is to grow, then I need to feed it. It becomes my priority to feed that. Oh, that God would, would, would make us to delight like the psalmist said, thy word is sweeter to me. Sweeter than honey. To be passionate about God's word. To know what it says. To share it with someone. To memorize it. Surely that would break the staleness in my life. Point number two. We need to put on the armor that is provided for us. Put on your spiritual armor. Put on your spiritual armor. Make it a practice of praying on the armor that we, that we have. It can be my morning prayer. It can be the prayer as you drive to work. And when your day goes sideways and you realize you didn't pray this morning, pray then. Pray that God would, Lord, I want to put on the belt of truth because I want truth to rule my life. I want to put on the sandals of peace because I want to, put a, I want to be a peacemaker today, Lord. And to protect my heart. Lord, I want to put on the breastplate of righteousness to protect my heart. And this is why we need to protect our hearts. That's why the breastplate of righteousness is so important. Because in Proverbs it says, keep your heart with all diligence. Protect it. It's a strategic place, a strategic piece of your spiritual victory. Your heart, the, 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 the topaz, the, the area of your heart. Your heart is where your words and your thoughts and eventually your actions come from. Protect it. Keep it. You can't afford to lose the battle for your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. Where is your heart? Are you struggling in a dry wilderness? Are you stuck some, in some deep valley? Check your heart. Check your armor. Has your breastplate somehow, does it have a chink in it that the enemy is able to shoot his darts at your heart? 
Does he have access to your heart? God calls us to, to a commandment. I need your help on this one. He calls us to a, to a commandment. He says it's the, it's the greatest commandment, he says. And he says it's to love the Lord your God with, how does, how does it go from there? With all your heart. With all your heart. And if we don't protect our heart, we can't love God with all our heart. And with all our mind. Thank you, John. That's the next one. You, you got the breastplate on. Do you have the helmet of salvation on? With our heart, our soul, and our mind. The mind is another battle place. It's another battleground that the enemy wants to attack. So don't forget to put on the helmet of salvation to protect our mind, our thoughts. Our minds are a wonderful thing, if you think about it. Something that's running all the time in the background. We figure things out. We invent things. It runs, everything happens because of a mind was behind it. But in that same time, it can be so easily distracted. It can be, it can be distracted from the task at hand, which is to glorify God. And it can be, veer off into some other area. And, be, and We need to protect our minds. Bring everything into captivity and obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We need to protect our minds, our hearts and our minds. Our hearts and our minds are strategic targets for the enemy. And I wrote this down. And this is, this is for me as, for, as much as for anyone. Let's not think that we can consume the garbage of an unregenerate society and come away unscathed. It will affect us. Remember, what we feed grows. And if we feed that, if, we feed my, if I feed my natural man, then it is at the expense of my spiritual man. Because that's what grows. We need to hunger and thirst, and we need to put on our spiritual armor. And number th three is we need to pursue holiness. Make this a priority. God, what does holiness look like to you. He has said in his word in Leviticus numerous times in 1 Peter 1.16, be holy for I am holy. What does that mean to be holy? What, what, what would that mean? Because I mean, how can I be holy? And how does that affect the, the lethargy that I feel in me? The word holiness means, means pure and and, um, and morally blameless. It's a purity there. So we can use that as a, as, as a guide. God, I, am, I, am I pure in my intentions here? Am I thinking rightly and purely here, Lord, when I consider doing this thing? My mind, my intentions, are they, are, are they, are they pure, Lord? Holiness can seem stuffy, like the priest in his robes going into the temple. That's, that's not the holiness that God loves to see in us, necessarily. He's not, he's not most interested in holiness like that. His holiness is when we live purely before him, honestly before him. 
And holiness, like any other spiritual attribute, is most accomplished when we open ourselves to the Lord and let Him work in us, accomplish in us what He would like to, when my heart is open to allow God to work in me and through me and on me. I acknowledge the areas of my shortcomings, my failures, and by His grace and by His mercy, He redeems me. He pulls me out of my pit, out of my stagnation, out of my unproductive and unresponsive life, and He repurposes me and makes me new for His kingdom work. That's what holiness looks like. God has changed what was evil at one point in me and has made it holy for his kingdom's sake. Hebrews 12, 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Which seems to indicate that the level of pursuit of holiness, it says follow, follow peace and it, and it uses that it, in the sentence structure, it's also saying follow holiness, follow peace and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So if I don't follow after holiness, then I probably won't see the Lord. That's kind of what it infers there. My level of pursuing holiness is connected, directly connected to my longing for God, wanting to be right with God, then I seek holiness. Holiness is not the normal path of humanity. You don't there, there is this thought that uh, humans are just intrinsically good. No, they are not. I'm sorry, but they are not. They're fallen and they're evil. And it's only by God that we can be good. It's not the normal path of humility. And our prayer needs to be, help me break free from my selfishness, Lord, my wrong focus, and point me towards the things that you want me to love and care for. Sometimes you don't see life through the lens of holiness. How, how do I, how do I, how am I a carpenter in holiness or a, a cabinet sales guy in holiness? How does welding and gardening and house cleaning relate to holiness? How does that all come together? But I believe that it all needs to be connected together. Coexist. And we need to pursue God seeing in every aspect of our lives, our lives in action, whether it be, whether it be in work or play, it should reflect the holiness and, the, and, and be honoring to God in some way. This is what 1 Thessalonians 4.4 4 says, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. And there's, there's a conflict of, of interpretation here. But I believe this possess his vessel means possess my body. We are earthen vessels. And it says here that we should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification. That word sanctification is the exact same Greek word as it is for holiness. Without holiness we shall not see the Lord. Possess his vessel in holiness and honor. Every one of us should know how to do that. And we do that daily as we do go about our, our work, as we go about our leisure time, at every part of our day. Seek the Lord. Hunger and thirst. Put on your armor and pursue holiness. 
How do we do all these things? This last point, point number four, is probably the most important point, actually. We combat a stagnant Christian life with praying and seeking. Going back to our text in Jeremiah. If you meet me back there, Jeremiah 29. We need to be a praying people, seeking after God. If we want to be a people of God, living in an in a increasingly godless society, then we must be a people of prayer. I, I heard this, I, I just, in, in my memory, I remember hearing, I, don't, I cannot give credit to the person that would have written this or said it, and it was something to the effect that no great kingdom work has ever been done except it was first bathed in prayer. And I love how Doug Small puts it. We can analyze prayer. This is my, this is my words. I don't have this word for word. We can analyze prayer. We can study how to pray. Better ways of prayer. Longer prayers, deeper prayers. But ultimately it comes down that we must be a people of prayer, that have a dedicated time of prayer. And when I hear his passion about praying, I realize how far I have to go. Let's look back at our text in, in Jeremiah 29. In verse, verse 12, verse 12 it says in Jeremiah 29, it says, and Then shall ye call upon me, then shall ye call upon me. And this calling, in my mind, is a crying out. It's not just, it's just not a silent prayer that I mumble, uh, thanking him for my food. This is a crying out to God. You call upon me. It's okay to call out to God out loud. When you're troubled, when you're, in your, when you're in your vehicle and you're driving and you hear a message or you hear a song or you're just troubled in your spirit, Call out to God, out loud. It's okay. I have this little book. It's called The Power of Crying Out. And I thought about it as I was studying, and I, I went looking for it. And uh, a couple quotes in that book. One, John Beckett said concerning that little book, he says, I can't believe I have overlooked the mighty prayer weapon of, of crying out. The, the psalmist knew how to cry out. I cry unto thee, O Lord. Byron Paulus, the president of Life Action Ministries, until God's people cry out in desperation, there is little hope for revival. Call on me, he says here. Then shall ye call on me. And then he goes on in verse 12, he says, And then, ye, then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me. Two different words. Two different words. We call upon, I can see the people crying out to God. And then they, they gather at the temple. We gather at a, a prayer meeting and we corporately, we pray to God. We cry out and we pray. As a congregation, we pray together. Possibly at the temple they prayed. We might do it at a prayer meeting. We might get together in a small group and we pray. We've called out and we've, we've went somewhere and we've prayed. What is the result? What is the result of this? He says in verse, and you, and you shall pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. That's what God will do. That's what, when we get serious with God, that's what he will do. I will hearken. This word hearken means he will hear intelligently. 
He will hear intelligently. God sees. He knows our situation. He knows our trouble. He knows the trouble we're in. And he will answer intelligently. He will hear intelligently. He will answer. I may not know how to pray. Maybe I don't know how to pray for a situation. But God hears intelligently. He knows how to answer my prayer. He knows our situation. He hears with knowledge. I like that. And then verse 13. And ye shall seek me. Not only do we cry out, not only do we pray, and not only does he hear, but we seek him. It's imp- we are like the deer panting after the water brooks. We are seeking God, looking for him. And he says, and, and find me. We seek him, and the result is that we find him. Do you really want to break out of your rut? Break through that stagnation then seek the Lord in prayer. Seek Him. God, I want to see you at work in me, through me. Show yourself to me, Lord, today, and you will find Him. When? When do I find Him? It's here in the text. When you search, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. We can't go halfways, folks. When we seek him with all our heart. So this is the question. If you find yourself languishing, if I find myself languishing, I need to ask the question, am I willing to put forth the effort and the energy, the opposite of the lethargy, put forth effort and energy that it will take to get it to a better place with God in my walk with God, to get to a better place? Then we need to, if we are, then we need to lay down the things that are holding us back. The grudges, the unforgiveness, the love for other things, for sensual things, the skepticism, the bitterness, the criticisms. And let's focus on hungering and thirsting after God instead of those things. Put on our protective armor so the enemy can't shoot those darts at us. And pursue holiness like we ought to. Seeking and praying to our Heavenly Father with all of our heart. And I believe that we will find him. I believe this will, be a, will give us new vision and new fire amongst us if we do these four things. Let's kneel for prayer. Heavenly Father, on our own we are a miserable, miserable failure. And we cannot do anything right But you, Lord, you can guide us. You guide us with your eye. You guide us with your hand. You carry us through the valleys. And we need you. Help us, Lord, to put away the things that would so easily distract us and help us to follow after you with our whole hearts, with my whole heart. For your kingdom's sake and for your glory's sake, Lord, not for me, not for us. Would you do that for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.